Thank you for choosing to listen to this podcast. My name is Nick Smith and I'm part of the leadership team of Champions Church Skipton. I hope and pray you will enjoy, be inspired and challenged as you hear what God has to say to you today. Right, so we are continuing uh, our series on Judges. Over the last few weeks, um, Michael has started a, a series on the book of Judges. Uh, I hadn't realised that when I said to Michael, yeah, I'll, I'll put myself in the diary to preach. I don't know sure if I may would have said, maybe I'm not free for a few months otherwise. But yes, it's been an interesting experience for me. I've realised how little time that I have spent really in depth in the book of Judges over the years. It can be a little bit bleak and brutal in places. I don't know how much you've read the book of Judges. Read it, but it can be a bit brutal in places. There are also judges in the book leaders, as some people would call them, that I had no recollection of ever reading of before. So you, you know me, you know me by now, I've preached quite a few times. I like a bit of audience participation. And I also like it when I'm in a series because I can ask you what's been going on previously. But I thought I'd start, and I don't know whether Michael has given you this answer, I'm sure he has. But I want to see if you were listening. It's all right, you're not going to be in trouble. I wondered if you could tell me how many judges there are in the book of judges, and I'm going to tell Michael he's not available. He can play along on his pad of paper. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's okay, how many judges were there? No, it's different to judges in a court. <laughs> what are you doing there? I see what you're doing, Paul. I see what you're doing. How many judges or leaders were there in the book of Judges? Anyone who hazard a guess? 14. That's not bad, that's pretty close. 13. 12. 12. Well done. We were going to get in there. There was 12. 12 judges in the book of Judges. There's one for your, um, I was going to say pub quiz, but that may not be appropriate. One for your random quiz moments that you have. Okay, here's another question, and you may well know the answer to this, because you might well have been here. Who have you already heard Michael preach on? And he's done at least two preaches on one of them. He's not done anything on Joshua. He's, he's Deborah. He's definitely done Deborah. And Gideon. I'm right, Michael. They're the two, aren't they? See, I was listening. Deborah and Gideon. And if, you are, if you're sat thinking, I'm sure I was here, but maybe I need to refresh myself, there are some great online podcasts. So please do go back and listen to the messages on Deborah and Gideon. These are fantastic messages on some very difficult passages of Scripture where God is really speaking to us. Right. Here's a tricky one. Bearing in mind, we had various answers of how many judges there were. Can anyone name me any of the other judges, and one of them should be a little bit easier. If, there, if you get any of the random ones, I might go and find you some chocolate afterwards. But can anyone name me any of the other ten judges? What's that? Are you reading right there? <laughs> well, I'm going to say well done, but I'm going to ask somebody without the Bible open. <laughs> What's that? Not Judge Dread, personal favourite of mine. Samson is the one that most people know. Ehud. Ehud, well done. Any more? It's tricky, isn't it? We're all scanning judges right now. We're scanning them. Do you know what? When you scan through, you have to turn quite a few pages as well to see the names. Some of them only have a few verses. I'm going to read them for you. These are the 12 judges who judged Israel or led for a period of time. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah, Ibzan, Elon, Abdon, and Samson. 
there is a mouthful of judges. Uh, and I recommend... Can you say again, please? Yeah, no, you can <laughs> listen to the podcast. But you can also Google that, and, or you can read the book of Judges, which would probably be the better option for you. It's actually, I don't know if you probably sat and thinking, well, if I could pick one of the 12 judges, who would Nick speak on today? And that you probably wouldn't take long to get to the point that I'm going to speak on Samson. Michael asked me to pick one. And yes, I went for the long-haired, overpowered, strength, uh, uh, super-strength hero of the Bible. It was probably fairly obvious. I chose that for two reasons. One, I'd heard about him and read about him before. And two, he is a proper biblical superhero, and I'm a bit of a fan of the odd superhero. I did, however, bear in mind how you should always prepare for a preach. I did spend some time <laughs> praying and reading through about some of the other judges. I did look through the book to say, God, if there is somebody else, I, I did that prayer. I said, please, God, don't give me anybody else. But if there is somebody else, God, who might it be? And I will tell you right now, the book of Judges is fascinating. And I'm going to be spending my own personal time, I'm going to spend some more time reading the book of Judges about what happened through that book. And I'm going to ask you, go away, read the book of Judges. You can get ahead of Michael before he brings out somebody else and maybe read a bit more. Read the book of Judges. Nothing is stopping you today. There is a, some fantastic themes through this book. And if you know anything about the book of Judges, you might have heard a bit about these themes. But often we think about the recurring theme of a group of people, the nation of Israel, who consistently get comfortable, forget about what God has done in their lives, turn away from God, of them realising the consequence of the action of turning away from God, often in the shape of an aggressive foreign nation who oppresses them. We see this group of people crying out, often crying out to the Lord, turning back to him. And we see God continually raise up judges or leaders to save his people. And then we see the people get comfortable again. And often forget about who God is and what he has done in their lives. I feel there's actually a great example of a more significant biblical theme. It is an example through judges of God's faithfulness to his people. Of God hearing the cries of his children and showing them his plan to save them, to look after them. It's an example of God's love for his people, even when we are far from him, living our own life in the way we want to. God is faithful and God loves us. And no matter what we do, he turns back to us to rescue us. It's not really that much different from the message I preached two weeks ago at James and Rebecca's baptism from Romans. God's amazing plan for us in our life, Jesus Christ. I'm going to say again, because I only have limited time today. If you didn't hear that, listen online. Listen to the podcast. Anyway, this is where we pick up in Judges chapter 13. So I'm going to read you Judges chapter 13. So if you've got a Bible, whether that be a physical Bible, whether that be a, an online digital version of the Bible, whatever you've got, let's open to Judges chapter 13. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man, named, a man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan 
of the Danites had a wife who was sterile, in some verses says barren, and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, you are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth. And he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, you will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you, you sent to us come again to teach you how to bring up this boy who was to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field. But her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up, followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule of the boy's life and work? The angel, of the, Lord, the angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of, of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? So that we may honor you when your word comes true. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond your understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing. While Manoah and his wife watched, as the flame blazed up on the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that this was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted our burnt offering and grain offering from our hands nor shown us all these things, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew and the Lord blessed him, and the spirit of the Lord began to stir within him while he was in Mahanadan, between Zorah and Eshtal. Amen. Amen. What, a great, what a great chapter. Straight away in verse 1, we see those verse. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The Israelites had come through, in the previous chapters, they'd come through 18 years of oppression by the Ammonites until Jephthah sorted them out. I can't quite say that one. I have to learn that one. Too. But anyway, Jeph sorted them out. A slight spoiler, but not really if you follow the theme of Judges. It won't really ruin the surprise when we preach on that one. 31 years later, three different leaders who rode a lot of donkeys, we were back into the cycle. People seemed so intent on following. They had turned away from God and have now suffered the consequence. The Lord has delivered them to the Philistines. 
That is when we see Samson come in. When I thought about Samson, when Michael said to me, you can choose one of the judges. When I thought about Samson, I thought about his amazing strength. I thought about the incident with a lion, very exciting time in his life. I thought about his challenge with women and I thought about his long hair. There is loads in the next three chapters in Judges. But it was the start, it was the start of his life that God was really been speaking to me about. Is this kind of birth, this whole coming to being of Samson, post the people turning away that God has been talking to me. Don't worry, there is plenty more on Samson. I believe there's probably at least a two-parter in this one. I think I'm going to sign myself up for. There is so much. So we're going to start with this. Samson was a miracle of God from day one. It tells us in verse two that Manoah's wife was childless, unable to have children. But an angel of the Lord appeared to her and told her she would conceive a child. It's amazing how often God does this in the Bible. Can anyone hazard a guess of how many women in the Bible were declared barren, unable to have children, and God appeared to them in some form and told them they would conceive and they went on to have a child? Anyone t- can anyone think of them? There's some learned people here counting. I don't know, seven. That's not bad. That's not bad. Thirteen. It's too much. Michael's closer. Ten. Six. Six. There is actually seven women in the Bible declared barren. For the uh, seventh was David's wife and we don't actually know if she conceived but she was a gift she was supposed to be a gift to the person who slayed Goliath anyway there are there are six people in the bible women in the bible specifically who are unable to have children who it was well known they were unable to have children who was declared that they were barren they were childless and they went on for God to bless them with a child These were all significant miracles in the Bible and they went on to have incredible outcomes. I'm going to tell you who they are and you might recognise some of them. The first was Sarai, the wife of Abraham. She was in her 90s when she gave birth to Isaac. And if you don't know anything about that, I'm going to ask you, I haven't got time. You're going to have to go and read it. It's a fantastic part of the Bible, a, a, a conception that birthed nations. The second is Rebecca. She prayed and Isaac petitioned the Lord and finally conceived Jacob and Esau. Well-known names in the Bible. The third was Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. She went on to have two very important sons, Joseph and Benjamin. She died giving birth to Benjamin. The fourth was Samson's mum. We don't know her name. The fifth was Hannah, the the second wife of Elkanah, the Ephraimite. She prayed that God would heal her womb and she gave birth to a boy who became the prophet Samuel. And the sixth, a lot better known, was Elizabeth, the wife of Zacharias, who was barren in her old age and gave birth to John the Baptist. Jesus called him the greatest man born of a woman. So, Samson's in good company. When God turns up to women who are unable to have children... And he tells them, you're going to have a child. They go on to do some pretty significant things in the Bible. But if you don't know about any of those six people, I can tell you their names again later. I'm going to ask you to do your own homework. Because we're not going to have time for me to tell you about them today. Just know this, Samson was in good company. And clearly, God had important plans for Samson. And this brings me to my first point. Only by God's power. There can be no argument over the purpose of Samson's life. He was born for a direct miracle of God. God sent 
set out to his parents who he was and who he will be through the visit of an angel. It's a significant first point, but why did God do that? Why did God choose this lady, who we've already seen, couldn't have children? Surely it would have been easier just to choose a boy growing up in the right neighbourhood and bless him. Say to appear to a boy already here and say, you will do my work. This is what you will do. That might have been easier. But God is showing his people where the source of their freedom comes from. To show people they can only find freedom through him. That Samson was born only by God's power. When we hear about this man set apart for God, who went on to perform some miraculous deeds, and who would eventually start the freedom from the Philistines of the people of Israel, we see at his start God's hand. We can't look back at this stage and say maybe he was just a really strong man. We can't look back and we can't look back and say maybe he was just a man who grew up and was just really dedicated to God. We can't look back and say maybe he was just a man who did it in his own strength. When God took a woman who could not have children and blessed her with a child, telling her at the start he would begin to free his people from the Philistines, we see it can only be God who is the architect of their salvation. God wants us to see him in the plan. God wants us to see his love for us. He wants us to see the way in which he has a plan for his people. And we see this throughout the Bible in the way God used men and women to perform miraculous deeds. They could not stand there and say, in my strength, I did that. Moses couldn't stand there and say, I made that seed of that. Only God did. There are lots and lots and lots of, of uh, examples in the Bible where we can only see God as the architect of the power. It's part of what we heard Michael preaching about last week. He took the unqualified and said, through me, you are qualified. He took people that were outcast or less desirable, those not seen as educated or important. He took those people and made them beacons of light. He made them workers of miracles. His hope for this world. They achieved things that were not possible without God. And he does that with you and he does that with me. On a personal note, that gives me a lot of confidence. When I step out to serve the Lord, I don't have to worry whether I'm the right man for the job. God appointed me and empowered me. We will come back to that later on. But know this, it doesn't matter your background, your qualification, your strength. You have been appointed by God to do his work. He doesn't want us to attempt the stuff we can do in our own power. We might look back and take the credit. It's really easy. In a work setting, I do a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of training. I've done the training that I do for years. And it's really easy for me to say, well, I'm just quite good at that. In fact, last time I did training, the lady coordinating said, Nick, can you please look at the notes this time? Because she was quite aware that often I get a little bit too confident. Maybe I miss bits. Maybe. He doesn't want us to attempt the stuff we can do in our own power. He doesn't want us to be able to take credit or have others devalue his work. Maybe that's just Nick. Maybe he can just do that. Maybe he just really is that strong. Not that I've been given that gift. But anyway, maybe I'm an ex-superhero. He wants us to step out in faith and know that we need God to see people healed. He wants us to step out and see people healed. He wants us to step out with words of prophecy. 
He wants to see lives transformed. Us stepping out, impacting people's lives through God's power. We are a church that believes in the power of prayer, that believes in the power of miracles, that believes God can heal, that believes that God can speak directly to us. And he wants us to step out in his power and do that. He wants those that feel they cannot in their own strength to rise in God's strength. There's no better example in the Bible of this than in his ultimate plan to save us. Through no power of our own could we make it right and bridge the gap to God. But through Jesus Christ we have life. Samson's birth could not be questioned. His life was possible only through God. And his life was set set aside to work for God. It says in verse 4, Now see it to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son, whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to the God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. I love this message. Samson's, his birth, his life, what he would accomplish was not for his own gifts and strengths. It's through God's power in his life. We will see this and we'll come back to it again and again through Samson's life. Through the next three chapters, you will see God's power working through him, through all he did and achieved. And this is the same as God working through us. God does not call those who are all powerful and can do it in their own strength. He calls those who will follow him, who cannot do it without him. That through God, amazing, God's amazing power can perform mighty miracles in his name, just like Samson. Amen. My second point, set aside for God. When the angel appeared to Manoah's wife to give her this great news, he told her that Samson would be a Nazarite from birth, dedicated to God from the womb. You've heard me use that term a few times, Nazarite. I don't know whether you've looked into that before. You may well have read that in the Bible. What does it mean? Well, firstly, we see it came with a set of instructions. It wasn't as simple. He's a Nazarite. There was things you had to do and follow. She was told what she couldn't eat, drink or eat. There was a whole list of foods in those days. In fact, today in certain religions, there are a whole list of foods that are considered unclean or clean. In fact, I found some infographics on the, on the web with pictures of the unclean food, pictures of the clean food. And if I had been more organised, I'd have put them on the screen. But you can also find them. <laughs> she was told that she would never cut his hair. That's a bit of a strange one, but we'll go with it. Now, the concept today of being told what you can and can't eat during pregnancy is a fairly normal one. Constantly changing that list, by the way. But this is not about healthy lifestyles. This is not about the angel Lord turning up and saying, actually, for the best chance for your baby, you should eat certain food, as we are told today. These were restrictions taken as part of a Nazarite vow. She was told he would be a Nazarite from birth. But what is that? So if you're not aware of what a Nazarite is, and thank you to Google again, which is my second most cited source for preaching after the big book. In the Hebrew Bible, a Nazarite is one who voluntarily took a vow described in Numbers 6, verses 1 to 21. Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word Nazir, meaning consecrated or separated. So it is someone who has dedicated themselves to a sacred purpose to God. A Nazarite 
as I went on to find out, can be for a set period of time. In fact, the minimum period of time you can be a Nazarite for is 30 days. Though it can also be a permanent vow. You can stand up and say, I am a Nazarite till I die. In fact, it was acceptable to stand up and say, I'm a Nazarite like Samson. And that would people understand that means a Nazarite till death. A father in those times could declare his son a Nazarite. But interestingly, the child has the right to refuse this status. The angel of the Lord set Samson on this path, that Manoah's wife should stick to these instructions and that Samson should be declared a Nazarite from birth and follow the restrictions of the vow. Again, God had a plan for him. Interestingly, Samson is one of only three people in the Bible who were Nazarites from birth. I'm not going to ask you who they were. We're running out of time. But they were uh, Samson. They were Samuel and they were John the Baptist. Interestingly, three of those, all three, were on the same list of people who were only born through God's great power. People born for a purpose God had set for them. So I said before, the Nazarite's vow, the one Samson was dedicated by, is based on two key things. Restrictions on the type of food and drink you have, which was to live in a way that honours God and that you will never cut your hair and this was an outward symbol that people can see and recognise. You were told how to live in a way that honours God. And you were told how you should style your hair. And that was an outward symbol that people can see and recognise. Interestingly, it goes on to say, uh, if you read into the vow, and I got a bit into it, that you can groom your hair with your hand and you're even allowed to scratch your hair. But you're not allowed to pull a comb through your hair because in doing so you might pull some of the hair out. It was a pretty strict vow. Samson was set apart from the others in a way he behaved and the way he looked. He would have been known and recognised as a Nazarite by those around him. They would have known and recognised him as one who is dedicated to God, to, for God and to do God's work. We see this in my first point, that Samson's life was a miracle of birth. Samson's mum and dad, who were unable to have kids, were told they would have a boy and he should be consecrated to God. Samson's beginnings point to God and not human effort. Samson's, so secondly, the angel tells him that Samson will be dedicated to God from birth as a Nazarite. He will live in a way that honours God and will be recognised as someone who follows God. Samson's life shows others who he's dedicated to. His beginnings point to God and not human effort. His life shows others who he's dedicated to. I think it's also right to say that Samson chose to live in that vow. So even though his father declared him a Nazarite and his mum followed those instructions whilst pregnant, Samson still had a choice. He didn't have to carry on living that way, but he chose to live his life dedicated to God. What does this mean for me? For us, when we realise that what God has done in our life, that he has given us life, yeah, what he's done in our life, that he's given us life, how do we respond? For Samson, his life was a miracle of God and his life was consecrated, set apart to work for God. He followed God's guidance on how he should live and, that, and he lived in a way that others could see his dedication to God. Even his hair was that outward symbol. Now, I'm not suggesting you should all grow your hair long. But what is the sign to others that we are followers of Jesus? Is it how we do life? Is it how we speak to others? Or how we speak about others, more importantly. Is it our compassion for those around us? Is it our heart to love our neighbours, even though they may be difficult? Is it the more obvious giving of our time to help those in need? 
How do we live our life? And what is the thing that people see in us that points them to God? Do others look at us and see God? And that brings me to my third point. Who is our offering to? Going back to Judges 13, we see this great interaction between Manoah and God. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again, to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. I want to highlight this bit. Manoah had listened to his wife and firstly, you can see, believed her completely. There is no doubt in his statement. There is no kind of, God, I've just been told something. I'm not sure it's true. Do you want to come to me instead? There's nothing about that. He says, let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. He completely believed what he had been told. There is no doubt. And that's something to think about when people speak over our lives. How quickly do we doubt people? But secondly, he asked God to send him again. And I can feel real sympathy for Manoah here. God, that was a great message. I want to thank you for that. I love the gift you're giving me. Could you please give me some more instructions? Just run it past me one more time. So I am absolutely sure I know what to do. I am probably not alone as the only person who said to God, please tell me again. Please help me a bit more with what you're asking me to do. Manoah had prayed a simple prayer. God, I need you to tell me what to do. With complete faith in what God had already said and God honoured him in that prayer. Manoah's actions show us complete faith in what God has said and will do. When we ask God to speak to us in faith at what he is doing or can do in our life, God will speak to us. I don't mean when we say to God, you can probably do that thing. Maybe you can help me. When we stand in prayer and say, God, in your power, that person will be healed. In your power, that thing will happen. God will speak to us when we have faith inside us, complete faith in what we're being told. Manoah's actions show us complete faith. When we ask God to speak to us at what he is doing or can do in our life, God will speak to us. And that is a challenge for us all. How often do we just ask God to help us with what we are being asked to do? How often do you sit there saying, I believe this is a calling on my life? Remember, I've got my own soapbox about what our default calling should be, whether we think we're called to something else or not. We're all called to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to those around us. We're all called to help the poor. We're all called to be a light in our community. We're all called to follow Jesus and be a disciple of God. They go without saying. How often do we sit there in faith and say, through me, people will come to faith through what I do, stepping out and telling people about you, people's lives will be transformed. How often do we pray like that? That we're expecting people to find Jesus and asking God, how does he want us to do it? Rather than saying, maybe God, you could bring someone into my life and maybe I could talk to them about you. Let's pray in faith, people. Let's pray that we know that it's going to happen. Anyway, I'm getting off my point now completely. So the man reappears to Manoah's wife again. He's nowhere to be seen, but she is quick to run and get him. We see in verse 12, so Manoah asked him, when your word's fulfilled, what is it to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? Again, no if or will this will happen, but when your word's fulfilled. At this point, Manoah asked the man to stay. He's going to prepare a goat for this strange man whom his wife described to him as an angel. And I love the fact she described him as very awesome, by the way. I think it's a great way to describe him. I'd quite like to be on my bio when I go. He was very awesome. I wouldn't, yeah, 
He wanted to honour him for the message he had brought. So he wanted to honour the angel. The angel replies with respect, but tells Manoah, if you're going to prepare the goat, prepare it as an offering for the Lord. It tells us in this verse, Manoah had not even realised he was really, he was actually an angel. He has been given a great blessing. He's been told that he will be, have the gift of a son. Remember, they were, he was told, we were told that he was, his wife was barren. Manoah wants to respect this man with a food offering, but when he does, he is pointing to the Lord, the true source of the blessing. It says in verse 16, the angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realise that this was an angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name so that we may honour you when the word comes true? He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond your understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. It is easy to get this bit wrong, isn't it? But again, we see Manoah's faith. When he's told, actually... Your food offering is misplaced. Take your offering to the Lord. God recognises. If Manoah acts on that, he has faith. God recognises the offering and blesses him further by confirming who he is. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realised that it was the angel of the Lord. Bless him. He panics at that point. What have I done? I've seen God. I'm going to die. And I'm not going to preach on it or anymore. But his wife gives him a quite calming message that sometimes people in our life bring that message of calm about what God is actually saying to us. But anyway, I think there's three key points here. God is about to perform a great miracle for Manoah, a great blessing for his family. But his initial offering is in the wrong direction. He tries to honour the angel, the messenger. Are we guilty of that? Of giving our offering to the person we see, not to God behind it? Or even, are we guilty of missing the blessing and the good stuff God has given us altogether? Do we look back and recognise what God is doing and take time to praise him properly? Secondly, this food offering, this was a food offering, a sacrifice. This wasn't just Manoah saying, thank you. He offered something that will be a sacrifice to him, to his family. In their case, a young goat and grain. Now, we don't know exactly the situation of Manoah and his wife. But in those days, you gave your first fruits as an offering. This stuff would have been stuff his family could have used and and would have needed. He gave it as an offering to God. When God is working in our life, when God is blessing us, Even just in recognising the great miracle God did for us in sending his son to die for us, what do we bring as an offering? The goat represented his time, his hard work. It represented giving of himself, his wealth and his possessions. What do we give in return for God's blessing and sacrifice in our life? And I think there's one more key point here. And I'll just do it quickly. It follows the theme. When other people see us, when they hear our words, see what we do, see how we live our life, where does that point them to? Do people see us and see God? Do we live our lives with a heart to bless those around us in a way that they bring their offering to the Lord? When we do things for people, when we step out, do do we do it in a way that they can only see God's power in us and bring their offering to the Lord?
I'm going to summarize. Samson's birth was a miracle of God. Manoah and his wife could not have children in their own power, but God gave them a son who would do mighty things in his name. God wants people to see his power in the miracle and not our strength. Samson was given life and lived it dedicated to God. Through the way he lived and the way he grew his hair, people could see he was a dedicated follower of God. Do people see God in us and the way we live our lives? When Manoah brought an offering, he was told to give it to the Lord. Who do we give the offering to when we see God's blessing in our lives? What do we give? Do we give our praise? Do we give our time? Do we give our possessions? When others see what we are doing, is it enough to point them to bring their offering to the Lord? Well, there you go. Thank you for taking the time to listen. I hope you've been moved by what you've heard today. We would love to hear from you at Champions Church. Please look us up on Facebook at Champions Church Skipton and drop us a message. I'll speak to you again soon.